Good to see everybody here today. You know, on Friday, we only had like 30 people registered. So it's good to see more people come out. Thank you for coming out and uh, being a part of our worship and our worship team. Uh, guys have just, uh, and uh, Sarah have just done a great job of leading us into the presence of the Lord. You know, in the presence of the Lord, there is restoration. And today, I want to talk about restoration. I want to kind of uh, carry on the message from Easter that I shared with you about Peter's life. And I want to focus on restoration a little bit more because I really believe we're in a season where God wants to restore us and needs to restore us, refresh us, renew us. Uh, <clears throat> this is uh, a difficult season that we're in. But the presence of God, being in the presence of God, is a place of restoration. You know, have you ever had to restore something? Uh, I mean, you had to take something that was old and refinish it. I remember I had a kitchen table, and we still have the kitchen table. It's in our kitchen. If you come over sometime, you'll see it. But uh, I had a kitchen table that was so old that when I put a paper plate on it and I ate, it got stuck to it, and then the, the paper plate wouldn't come off, and it would just... Get, you know, paper would stick on it, and, and uh, I knew I had to refinish it, but I didn't want to, I put it off. I kept on putting it off, refinishing it, because I, because I guess honestly, because I knew that I was going to have to take the time to sand it down, and then I was going to have to take the time to restain it, and then I was going to have to take the time to put new polyurethane on it, but I finally did it. I obeyed my wife, and I did it. And so uh, I finished it, and it finally came out. And it came out so much better than I thought it would. And the paper plates didn't stick to it, and the, you know, the glasses didn't stick to it. And it was just like I said to myself, why did I wait so long to do this? And the reason was, was because it took time, it took effort, it took uh, researching how to do it the proper way, it took the proper tools and everything, and and so I just kept on putting it off because I thought it would take too much time. You know, today I want to talk to you about restoring something else. I want to talk about to you, uh, restoring your soul. And a lot of times we restore a lot of things. We like restore things in our home. Uh, sometimes people have to restore a business. They have to repurpose a business. Uh, sometimes it's a car or an appliance that's broken and you have to uh, get it fixed. Uh, you know, things break down, they get worn down, but there's something that we neglect often, and that's the thing that I want to talk about today. It's our soul. And the reason I think that we ignore renewing our soul is because it takes time as well. It takes time in the presence of the Lord. And a lot of times we just don't Make the time to be in the presence of Jesus. You know, this past Wednesday, Lori and I went to, attended a no hype, no name. It was called no, name, no hype, no name, just Jesus a gathering. It was at Centerpoint Church. It was Wednesday, and it was uh, just the morning and into the afternoon. And they just had worship there. And they had pastoral staff and other people there. And uh, there was only about 50, 60 people there. 
but it was a wonderful time in the presence of the Lord. And Calvin Walker, our superintendent, Dr. Calvin Walker, was there as well. And he said something about restoration that I want to share with you. He said, restoration of the soul starts with intimate soul care with God. This can only happen in the presence of God. See, restoration of our souls can only happen in the presence of God. And a lot of times what that means is coming into his presence. It just doesn't mean going to church. It means being present before the presence of God. Because we're so distracted about so many things, aren't we? You know, we'll restore our bank accounts. We'll even try to restore our bodies, lose a little weight. But restoring our souls is something that a lot of times we put off. And Jesus says it's the most important thing that we can do. And especially in these days that we're living, because there's a lot of stress, there's a lot of anxiety. People are getting weary of the pandemic. They're weary of having to adjust. And we talked about that last time, about having to adjust and keep on adjusting. But the Lord wants us in our weariness to come to him. In fact, in Matthew chapter 11, he said this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I'm humble, gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest. And in the Amplified says that means renewal, blessed quiet for your souls. That you will find refreshment, renewal for your souls as we come to the Lord. And that's a very basic concept. I know that you've heard it before. You know, King David said in Psalm 23, he says, he restores my soul. The Lord leads me and he restores my soul. And that's what we really need today, isn't it? We need a restoration of our soul. And there's no better person to do that than the person of Jesus Christ through the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He wants to restore us. I don't know if you've ever heard the story... um, or heard of the person Corey Tenboom, but she tells a story about what was going on in her life when she was in a prison camp in, uh, in Austria. She grew up in, near Amsterdam, and Corey was uh, well-respected in a well-respected Christian family. She was born in 1892, so when the war hit in 1940, she was older, an older person. But all of her life, she had given her life to helping her father's business, but also to taking care of children, especially children with special needs. And when the the Germans came in, the Nazis came in, and they started to arrest Jews and resistance fighters, Corey and her family hid over 800 people in their house. They had a separate, they had a secret wall that they would open up and they would hide those people. But the authorities found out about it, and they were arrested and they were brought to Ravensbrück uh, concentration camp. And while she was there, she talks about learning some very powerful lessons from the Lord. She uh, had gotten very discouraged because, you see, her father had died in the prison camp. Her sister was... Uh, ill with probably a terminal illness. She knew she wasn't going to make it. 
But, um, and Corey was at a difficult place. She was wondering, why did God allow all of this to happen to us? We were doing something good. We were trying to help people. And why did this happen to us? And why did it happen now? And she was discouraged and she was disillusioned. And then uh, she said something when she said, there's nothing too great for God's power, nothing too small for God's love. I learned that in the difficult class of life school. When you're in a difficult class, then you learn much, especially when the teacher is good. Has anybody ever had a difficult class, but the teacher is good? And if the teacher is good and making you understand what's going on, you gain a lot from it. And she says this, and my teacher was the Holy Spirit. That's what Corey Ten Boom said. And then she tells a story of catching a cold, a bad cold, while she's in this uh, concentration camp. And her sister Betsy told her to pray and ask God for help. And Corey was at that place in her life when she was, like, not having too much faith. And she laughed at Betsy for saying, what do you mean, ask God for help? And she said, I'm going to pray and ask God to give you a handkerchief. (laughs) And Corey laughed. She says, give me a handkerchief. We don't even have our own clothes here. Nobody has anything like that here in this concentration camp. And then as soon as Betsy prayed a simple practical prayer and she said amen, a friend arrived and gave Corey the gift of a handkerchief. And and, uh Uh, Corey said, how in the world did you know I needed a handkerchief? And the friend replied, there was a voice in my heart who said, bring a handkerchief to Corey Tenbo. Corey continued, can you understand what a handkerchief tells you in such a moment? That there is a father in heaven who hears it when you on a very small planet, the earth, are one of his children, prays for an impossible small thing for a hanky and the Father in heaven tells one of his other children, give a handkerchief to Corey Ten Boone. That is the foolishness of God. But the foolishness of God is, is the greatest wisdom, and I've learned so much by that little handkerchief. You see, God shows up in our lives in little ways. And if we recognize them, they give us faith and they give us comfort and they give us confidence that he's seen the whole picture in our lives. You see, that incident was restorative to Corey Tenboom. You know, it's not a dramatic thing, but she remembered it the rest of her life to tell about it years later. God used her after she was miraculously re- released from that prison, uh, from that concentration camp because of a clerical error. She was released from that uh, concentration camp. She went all over the world uh, until she was in her 80s, explaining and sharing the gospel and God's wonderful love. And if you've ever read a book by her, you should, you should get it. She has just simple, profound wisdom that God has given her. You know, I'm talking about restoration here, and I want to go back into the story of the apostle Peter. Because I think that it is so applicable to our lives and what uh, God can do in our lives. You see, the Apostle Peter, as I was talking about it last time I shared with you, he had a real problem. He had a problem because he had failed, because he had denied Christ, 
because he had fallen away, he was living in shame. And I talked about there's two kinds of shame. There's one kind of shame is toxic shame. And that's a shame when we look at ourselves and are ashamed of who we have become, who we are, and we can't even forgive ourselves. And that's a place where you get stuck in. It's a place where uh, your soul actually closes down to hear the voice of God or even sense the presence of God. When you're living in toxic shame, that's a place where you don't even like yourself, but you don't like the situation that you're in. You're frustrated. You're disillusioned. I think every one of us at some time in our life has been there. And then there's a healthy shame. It's a conviction of our sin, and it'll lead you back to Jesus so that you can pivot towards his forgiveness and restoration provided to you through his death and resurrection. Now, you would think that Jesus would just take away our toxic shame just by speaking a word and it's gone. But often toxic shame, we have to go back in the past and revisit the things that have caused us such a pain in our lives. And so Jesus came to Peter in his toxic shame, and he revisited the past and the things that he had done that he had regretted. And Jesus, in his love and in his presence and in his power, began to reveal to Peter that he was forgiven, that he was accepted, that he was loved. And it's a story that's taken from the last chapter in, uh, in the Gospel of John, chapter 21. And I'm going to read it to you because I think it's one of the most wonderful stories in the Bible. Story of restoration. It says this in, in John chapter 21. After Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee, it happened this way. Simon Peter... Thomas, also called Didymus, Nathanael from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out fishing, Simon Peter told them. And they said, hey, we'll go with you. And so they went out and got into a boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. So here Jesus shows up resurrected, but they don't recognize him right away. They're about 100 yards away on the shore. It's a glassy, clear shore. It's uh, probably, maybe it's foggy out or something, but they don't recognize him. But he calls out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? They said, no, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. See, the the disciples throw the net on the other side of the boat, and you would never fish like this because usually you had two boats and you surrounded the fish, one on the other side, one on the other side with the net. You would hold the net like that, and then you drop it down and pull it up. But Jesus does something miraculously here. Have you ever wondered if Jesus kind of chuckled and laughed? I think he laughed at this time. He said, I'm going to do something to these guys. So they really recognize me, and they begin to see something. You know, I think sometimes we don't realize that God has a sense of humor in our lives, right? He does things that that can remind us, that can stir our mind to remind us of his goodness and his love. 
And so they do that. And then the disciples whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him, it's the Lord. He wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Now, Simon, you're a pretty strong guy. You think if every fish was at least one pound, that's 153 pounds. Now, they're probably even bigger than that. There was large fish there. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus, Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So Jesus takes Peter aside and has this conversation with him. You know, there's times when God wants to have a conversation with us, but we have to give him the time in our presence to be in his presence. Again, he said, Simon, son of, and he said, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, feed my lambs. And then again, he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said, follow me. You know, it's amazing that Jesus takes the time to come to Peter and minister to him in a very special way. When he says, follow me, I'm sure Peter is thinking back to the first encounter he ever had with Jesus. In uh, Matthew 4, 19, he says, Jesus said to him after this big catch of fish, he says, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. That was the first time, some of the first words that Jesus had spoken into Peter's life. So he takes him back to his place of the first encounter he ever had with God and they begin to talk about it. And you know, God sometimes wants us to go back to the place, even when we were children, when God began to speak into our lives. He began to do something. He began to bring us into something. And then somehow we took a detour off of that path. And he's calling us back to the place to remember our calling, what everybody is called, not just pastors, not just missionaries, everybody's called to follow Jesus, be a wholehearted follower of Jesus. Everybody is called to that. And so 
Jesus tells Peter, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. I'm going to, I'm going to take what you do naturally and empower you spiritually to catch people, to talk to people, to love people. You know, Jesus gathers Peter and the disciples around a burning charcoal fire. It's the same word in the Greek where, Jesus, where Peter had denied Christ in chapter 18 of John. It's the same place when they had been around that fire outside the courtyard. It's the same word there that is used. And Jesus is bringing back to Peter's memory his failure, his denial, his sin. And he wants to talk to him about it. And that's why he asked him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? But then he didn't leave him like that. He didn't say, yes, Lord, I love you. He said, okay, then if you love me, feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. If you truly love me, then I have something for you to do. You know, there's no way that Peter could do that unless he was restored. There's no way we have the capacity to help somebody else in the way that the Lord wants us to help them unless we're restored spiritually. That's why a lot of times we we don't volunteer. We don't enter into people's lives and into their hurt because we don't have the capacity. We're hurting ourselves. And also... I was excited yesterday. We had like 50 people come out to help distribute food. I, I, I thank God for everybody that was here. It was a wonderful time when we di- distributed the food uh, yesterday. Pastor Peter was talking about before. But it gave us an opportunity to show love and in a real sense to feed people. You know, the, uh, Jesus is talking about spiritual food as well. And he's cooking the fish and he's breaking the bread with them. And they must have been thinking, oh, man, do you remember that time when Jesus fed 5,000 people? So Jesus is using the present to remind them of the past to bring them into the future. And, and the Lord will, always, will often do that in our lives. He'll remind us of the past and his faithfulness and his goodness and his promises that have been true and faithful for us to bring us into the future and to face the future that God has for us and the purpose that he has for us, the things that he wants us to do. Don't lose sight of that. If you do, you you miss out on the restoration of your soul and helping other people be restored. You know, the Holy Spirit wanted to do this work in Peter's life, and we see the change that happens after this encounter with Jesus. You know, it's the same type of thing that happens to us when we take the time to be in the presence of God, to hear his voice, to read his word. But it also is something else, too. Peter was connected also to the other disciples as well. He was restored to those other disciples, the men and women that followed Jesus. Rich uh, Velotis, in his book, The Deeply Formed Life, uses an illustration that I just love. He had gone to San Francisco and then went on a retreat to speak at a retreat 
And it was in a, uh, a section of the state where these, these redwood trees, these sequoia trees, these huge trees that are 200 feet high. And his friend, who was the pastor, was giving a little devotional, and he said, do you know why the trees are so tall and last for hundreds of years? And he says it's because of their root system. It's not... It doesn't go down as deep as it is high, as the tree is high. But it spreads out. The roots spread out and they interlock with the other trees. So that the roots are all interlocking with other trees. They can go out as far as they are high, 200 feet wide. Those roots can go out and they interlock with the other redwood trees and they hold each other up during the storm. That's why it's so important to belong to a community of believers that will hold you up in the storm. And will help you to be restored and help you to grow and develop. As a follower of Jesus Christ, we need one another. We really do. The pandemic has kind of separated us somewhat. But I believe that we are stronger together. And I mean... So, I mean, we have to meet on Zoom sometimes. We have to limit our interaction. But God wants us to be interacting with one another, supporting one another, helping each other, restoring one another. I think there's three things that God wants to restore in each of our lives. There's three loves that he wants to restore in our lives. The first one is Jesus will restore your love for him. He'll restore your love for Him. That's one of the things that, that's our first love. That's the first love that God wants. Always, He says, you know, don't lose your first love. He's not talking about a person here. He's not talking about an old girlfriend. He's talking about Himself. Our first love is Jesus Christ. And He wants us to develop that love, renew that love, and we do that by being in His presence. And then the second thing is restore love for yourself. I'm not talking about being a narcissism or anything like that. I'm talking about a healthy love and respect for who you are. The opposite of toxic shame is to be having a healthy self-image that God has created you uniquely, purposed you, has a purpose for you, has gifts that he's given you. Uh, has made you a certain with a certain personality. You don't have to be somebody else. You can be you, but you, be, you can be you in the strength of the Lord. And so God wants to restore a love for ourselves. And the third one is He wants to restore your love for others. And see, if we do the first two, if we're in the presence of the Lord, and then if we're uh, also accepting his love for us, we have then the capacity then to reach out beyond ourselves to other people. And the Apostle Peter is a prime example of that. He was a Galilean fisherman, okay? They hardly went even down to Jerusalem, just 70 miles away. But Jesus expanded his capacity to love people across racial lines. Uh, Jesus took them into Samaria which was a place where Jews and Samaritans hated one another. Racial biases and hatred towards one another was there. 
And Jesus broke those barriers. And then Peter, later on in the book of Acts, he's, you know, ministering to Romans, enemies. And he's crossing the lines of social distance and cultural difference and racism. He's crossing those lines and engaging people with the love of Christ. And God wants us to do that as well. He changed. And he was changed in such a way that then he was able to become the person that we read about in the Bible, in the book of Acts. And in his letters, 1 Peter and 2 Peter, you hear his heart as a shepherd. See, Jesus turned him from a fisherman. He didn't stop bringing people to Jesus, but then he took care of them as well. He fed them. He cared for them. And God can do that in each of our lives. Now, what was it that the woman gave Corey Tenbu? It was like a little handkerchief, a little piece of cloth to blow her nose. But it was an answer to prayer. She knew that God cared for her. Do you know? Do you know how much God cares for you? Have you thought about that lately? Have you accepted that? Have you prayed about something? Have you seen God answer prayer? I remember when I was an urban uh, missionary, we had to raise our own support. It seemed like we were always at about 60% of what we needed to live as a family. We had three children, and we lived in the inner city, so every person had to raise your own support to stay there and live there. And we were always at about 60%, 70%, and then every so often somebody would you know, we'd get a gift or something like that. It would raise our support enough. But I remember there was one year that we were very, very low in our support. And we had uh, an older woman who was a widow. She was, her name was Margaret Shevik. And uh, she loved the Lord, and she would always pray for us. She lived in Rockland County in, uh, near uh, New City, New York, Rockland County. And she would pray for us all the time. And uh, she would be very interested in our ministry. And then she passed away, and I got a call from her, uh, her son. And he said, uh, my mother wrote you in her will. And you should have $35,000 coming into your account with World Impact. And it was enough to wipe out all the debt from the years before and then prepare us for the next year. What I share that with you is because Margaret Shevik not only prayed for us, but then she also had this desire and prompting of the Holy Spirit to do something as well. And a lot of times, God will prompt you by the Holy Spirit to do an act of kindness towards somebody else. Whether it's as little as a handkerchief or as great as a a wonderful gift to a ministry. But God will prompt you to do something. And the impact it will have is not only on that person, but it allowed us to stay there and impact children and families in Newark. So it's this ripple effect that God does when he restores us. This is what Peter says at the end of his first letter. He says, humble yourselves 
Therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and sober-minded. I think he wanted us to be alert because we can so easily uh, drift away from God's goodness. We can just get in this, this state of mind like Corey was in and just say, you know, it's useless. Prayer is useless. What, you know, what am, what am I going to do? I'm just stuck in this situation. Be alert and sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He says, you're also in a spiritual battle. Be careful. Resist him. Standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. This is one time in our lives that everybody in the world is undergoing this pandemic, right? And Peter's talking about persecution for his faith, being arrested, uh, being beaten just because he was a believer. But everybody does, there's some kind of suffering people are going through. And then he says this, And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you suffered a little while, will himself, Jesus himself, God himself, will restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. And that's something that is a gift from God. Restoration is a gift from God. So what are some action steps? First thing, it's being humbling ourselves in the presence of God. You know, Matthew 6, 6 says this. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen, then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Just a little verse like that. Do you ever think about it? Go in your room, close the door, be by yourself, just you and God, and talk to him. I challenge you to do that for two minutes this week. Just two minutes. Try just two minutes, close the door, get alone, and just talk to God. And do it, do it more than one day. Start out small. Don't, don't put, you know, I'm going to pray for three hours. And you're probably, probably going to fall asleep. But go in. If you're just starting out, being in the presence of the Lord, do that. Close the door. And it says this, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. There'll be things that you begin to see and understand that you didn't understand before. It's like Peter's eyes were open to his whole life. He remembered his calling. He remembered his failing. He remembered what God had, had uh, told him he was going to do for him. And then he remembered the command, follow me. And it gave him courage to be the kind of man, the kind of follower that Jesus wanted him to be. Then renew the understanding of how deep the Father's love is for you. Just renew that, your understanding of that. Begin to look at the promises of God. There's a promise that God has given you in your life. There's probably several of them that have spoken to you in the past, bring them up again in your life. Or ask God for what his word says. Resist toxic shame 
Resist the lies and the roar and the intimidation of the enemy in your life at this time in your life. And number three, true restoration of your soul. When it truly happens, it will lead you to love other people. It will lead you to take to uh, follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit and be obedient to God. Sometimes it'll be a sacrifice. Sometimes it'll cost you something to help somebody be restored. It'll cost you your time. It'll cost you an effort. But God calls you to do that as he does me. And if you find your capacity to show love and care for others is so weak that it's almost not there, go back to step one and two. (laughs) Be in his presence. Understand who you are in him. Get help. Get connected to other brothers and sisters in the body of Christ so that you can stand and be, be restored. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we could be together. Lord, you're calling us to deeper restoration, to renewal, to revival in our soul, in our hearts. And we know that only happens as we build our lives on your love. That only happens when we understand that you are the God who cares for us, who loves us, who went all the way to the cross, was buried and then rose again. And you yourself, you say in your word, you yourself wants to restore us. Even after we've suffered or struggled for a while, you're the one that wants to restore us. So Lord, we invite you, we come, Holy Spirit, Move and work right here in this room, right where every person is seated. You know their hearts. You know what they're going through, Lord. You know the disappointment they have. You know the frustrations that they felt or are feeling even right now. Pray, Father, that you will come and restore, renew, refresh by the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus.